Hey, welcome to the Backyard Professor live sessions. I have been outside charcoal grilling chicken, and it's a hundred degrees, and I had my cloth over my head that was soaking wet to keep me cool, and so my hair is a mess. But I am doing a special live uh, today because... I am off work, and I have a few moments, and I have an announcement, and then I also have, hey, Elisa, yes, too hot. It is way too hot. So I came in to do another live session because I have some really cool information that I want to share with all of you, and uh, I've got the time, so I'm going to do this. I've got the time, and I've got the hankering. Yes, uh, I do have a really nice and fun and exciting announcement. I have begun to doing my podcasts again. Now, on the podcasts, you can find those at backyardprofessor.org, all one word. And I have two new podcasts up this last week. So, and I will begin to do more podcasts. Now, the reason I'm excited for this is because with podcasts, you don't have to see the person in the video. You can just listen to it while you're commuting to work or while you're working in your backyard, etc. My personal advantage from my end of doing a podcast is because I have interlaced, I've interconnected all the books of my library, and my library goes all the way over. I've got boatloads of books behind that chessboard also, and then all of my books here. Then you can see my bookshelf way back there, and then on this side, there's even more bookshelf right there, and then around to this side, you see even more books. So that's a full 360 of the Backyard Professor Library. I have thousands of books. Well, I've been interconnecting them now for decades. So I can grab a book. I can open up my index. And I can find a specific subject that is interesting to me, which is pretty much a lot of subjects. And then I can pull together the books that I've cross-referenced. And I can present a podcast, a real nice podcast with some solid information out of four or five or six books. It's like writing a, you know, five to eight page paper with 25 or 30 footnotes. Well, I can do a podcast of that quality pretty much on a daily basis. Now, I'm not going to do it on a daily basis, but on weekends, I could end up producing uh, five, six, seven podcasts. So I'm going to give you an enormous, wonderful amount of information. I'm trying to think of the new series that I've got that I am getting ready to produce. Uh, I'm working on it right now. I don't know if I'm going to call it synthesis or what, but I have lots of subjects, uh, religion, history, philosophy, science, art, mathematics, all of it integrates spirituality. All of it integrates into expanding our minds and our hearts to helping us become better human beings. And so my podcasts 
are really going to start picking up steam. The other beautiful thing about these podcasts is they are across the social media spectrum. I mean, they will be on on uh, Facebook. They will be on iTunes. They will be on Twitter. They will be on what we're, we're hooked into about 15 or so social media outlets so that if you don't have a particular outlet, you can still find my podcast through another social media outlet. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, so backyardprofessor.org org. Don't miss that. And then you can let everyone else know who you know that if you find one of my subjects interesting, which I hope you will, I think you will, I've got some fantastic ideas to share with you, then you can share those along with everybody else. So, but in the meantime, I am here at the live session on a Thursday afternoon. Let's see who's here. Uh, got to take off my glasses in order to read. My hair is a wreck. I apologize. I've been out barbecuing chicken. Oh, hey, Debbie Joe. Always good to see you. Julie H. Wrong, wrong Cal. Thank you for showing up. Good to see you. Wendy Rowland. Good evening to you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's 100 degrees where I'm at, so it's pretty brutal right now. Yes, yes. Debbie Joe. sincerely, I'm so with you. Heart to heart, girl. Uh, my whole reason <laughs> of producing all my videos, all my podcasts, everything, including this one, is to help us become better human beings. Which means uh, I've, I've kind of had a change of philosophy myself. Uh, and, and this is so remarkable to me because I realized when I jumped out of apologetics, uh, I went atheist. Here's two new adventures. Well, atheism was unsatisfying. So now I see myself as, and, and honestly, uh, the ultimate cosmic question, of course, none of us know. So realistically, if that's what we're looking for, and I suspect deep down that is what everyone's looking for, whether they admit it or not is irrelevant to me, then we are all agnostic seekers. And so for me, there is something in me that is calling out to learn more spirituality. Now, as much fun as it is to beat up Mormonism with its insanely silly hypocrisy or the false views, or the social gaffes that the leaders continually step their foot in the new squishy cow pie and spread crap all over, get it all over themselves, and they just, they make fools of themselves. And they're apologetic defenders, and they're lawyer defenders. You know, as much fun as that is, the theme in that is to break away from someone else telling us what to think, what to do, how to behave, how to live, etc. And from within our own selves, expand outward. We have all the gifts that everyone else does. It doesn't matter what the station of life is. 
in other people. We too can grow and in spirituality, in love, in hope, in grasping that not only is the cosmos bigger than we are, duh, <laughs> but it's bigger than we can suppose. And there is grandeur to this mystery of what our true being is. Hey, that kind of stuff is fun for me. So not only do I like to kind of, you know, sometimes, you know, flick the Mormons on the ear and, and hassle them a little bit, especially when some of their uh, actions cause serious problem for people. But instead of just always being a negative and a tearing down, I'm also enjoying the buildup, the expansion, the opening of our minds, the learning of new ideas out of fantastically good material. I've got Novalis and Thoreau and all of the great uh, thinkers, Shakespeare and Dante and, you know, all the philosophers. And, and so that's what I'm enjoying. And that's what I'm going to do most of my podcasts with, but I have uh, every intention of intermingling them here with this live session as well. So it's fine stuff is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, oh, Joe Walker, how are you? Welcome, welcome. And uh, JB, maybe one, good to see you here too. Oh, Christian Bell. Yeah, no kidding. Isn't it great? <laughs> okay, I'm going to share with you and I'm going to do this from reading just a little bit in this surprise live session. Don't forget, I will be here Sunday night. Realistically, I'm going to be here again. Uh, there's a very good chance that I'm going to do some live sessions on Saturday. I just want to make that announcement, too, because so I, I'm getting momentum and I am starting to enjoy this and I'm I'm really having fun. So. Keep your eye out for the podcasts as well as some live sessions. I'm always, of course, my main Sunday night, six o'clock. That's the that's the baby. That's the one you want to see. Two, so, yes, Stoicism. The early Romans, the early Christians, the early Greeks, the late Greeks, the ancient mysteries. Yes, the Mithras materials, the Gnostic materials. I, the historical Jesus, I've got all kinds of stuff like that, that I want to do live sessions here, but I also want to do podcasts on. So yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad to hear you're into stoicism. This is good. That's an era that is so fascinating for all of us. And that is something I'll also be um, getting into. So my, my text today that I want to share now, T.O., uh, is the one that hooked me into this guy, the Lithuanian metaphysicist Algis Uzdavinis. Now, sincerely, uh, he is one of the most impressive 10 top 10 authors of my life, intellectual slash spiritual slash philosophical that I've ever discovered. Uh, T.O. was correct. He said, I promise Uzdavnis will just thrill you. This particular book, Philosophy as a Rite of Rebirth, not only is the title intriguing, 
The book is magnificent. It is a discourse on what philosophy is. Now, in our day, philosophers have acquired the reputation because it is what they have be become is they love to talk more and more about less and less. And it has turned everyone off. Nobody really turns to the philosophers anymore. For one, I watched the Hopi and the Navajo Indian religious YouTubes. They are phenomenal. And the Hopis have it right. They do. Uh, we are too distracted. We are, we are wandering about wasting our lives because we have too many things that give us quick satisfaction, but not enduring satisfaction. It'll give us a quick thrill, you know, the video games, our iPhones, we, we are literally becoming zombies because of our iPhones. We are too distracted away from the real entertainment and enjoyment, the cosmos. And, and so that's, that's an interesting idea. Well, Uzdavanis shows us that one of our distractions is the modern interpretation, and not only that, but the modern use of philosophy has completely divorced itself from what the ancient philosophy for millennia was all about. Uzdavnis brings that back into play, and it's fabulous. Uh, unfortunately, he died, I think he was 48. He died relatively young back in 2010. Uh, in the process, though, he was able to get several texts out of his philosophy, of his fantastic research and keen insight, and I really like the guy. In order to introduce this, because I've already been cross-referencing a whole bunch of stuff, which is really interesting here. Um, I want to read just a selection briefly from one of the other fantastic texts, the shamanic wisdom in the pyramid texts by Jeremy Nadler. He got his PhD in Egyptology. Phenomenal text. I was stunned at his approach to the pyramid texts. And on page, oh, where am I? Do, 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 do. Yes, here we go. Here we go. On page 55 of Nadler's text, we read the climax of the... Now, he's quoting Carl Karenyi, whom also is another very excellent author of ancient Greek materials, uh, somewhat dated, more in the 
50s to 70s, but superb insights. Much of his material is still very useful. And of course, it's being ignored by today's philosophers, which is too bad. But that's their problem, not mine. The climax of the Eleusinian mystery rite was a beatific vision comparable to the medieval Christian mystical Visio Beatifica. One of the main purposes of initiation in the Eleusinian mysteries was to bring one almost to the point of death so that one stood at the threshold of the spiritual world and was able to see into it. Hmm. Talk about broadening and enlarging your vision and your mind. Yeah. And to catch a glimpse of a transcendent reality beyond anything normally experienced in ordinary life. I just wanted to share that one quick thought from Jeremy Nadler because this led from one thing to the other. One of my other very favorite spiritual authors and philosophers, interestingly enough, is Peter Kingsley. And this one is the ancient philosophy, mystery and magic. This is about the life of Empedocles. Very interesting material in this fantastic book. And he says that, oh no, where is it? Oh, did I put this on the, no way. Oh, no, no, no. This is it. This is it. Oh, had me worried. I'm just saying it had me worried. So the Platonism, that is the philosophy from Plato, is has many, many ties. It was influenced very strongly from the ancient Orphism, the Orphics, far, far early into the Greek materials, right? And, and Uzdavanis demonstrates with an enormous amount of scholarship, fantastic materials in all of his books, but in this one also, that the Orphics in turn are influenced, if not actually based upon the ancient Egyptians. Now, I know modern scholarship really does not like knowing that the basis, the ground of our philosophy, the ground of our science and mathematics and chemistry and astronomy is also based on the ancient Egyptians. For whatever reason, today and modern philosophers can't stand giving Egypt the credit. And the remarkably fascinating thing is all of the great Greek philosophers, historians, Anybody who was anybody in the ancient world, everyone went to Egypt to get their education. 
their knowledge, their science, their philosophy. It's incredible. And yet today, oh, well, no, we, we can't believe what they said. Why not? Well, because we don't. We think it started with the Greeks. Now there is no question that the Greeks, in their true magnificence, not to cut anything away from their phenomenal achievement, claim they got it from the Egyptians. So, so this is a remarkable kind of a tit for tat, uh, an argument, and and this is actually the uh, this is the course away from the ancient understanding that unfortunately our modernity has taken a left turn somewhere and we screwed it up. Here is what Ben or Peter Kingsley says. Plato in the Republic describes the wise woman and the wise man in this fashion. The wise men and women are presented as doing precisely what Socrates' oral informant has done in the Phaedo myth. You take a sacred Orphic text about reincarnation and the other world and interpret it allegorically. With these men and women wise about what they do, we are also brought back once again to the wise man in the fragment of myth in the Gorgias, who is wise because he is so skillful at explaining allegorically the real meaning of accounts about the other world. This was the essence of ancient philosophy. This is what gave philosophy its energy. This is what brought about the glory of the expansion of the goodness of humanity. This is what stabilized Egypt as a culture and a civilization for 2,500 years. To contrast that, America is not quite 400 years old yet. We aren't even a tenth of the way in longevity of existence as Egypt was because it was a stable civilization based upon the excellent intellectual principles of the mathematics, the agriculture, the astronomy, the cycles of the heavens, how they influence the earth, the tides of the moon, the rise and fall of the Nile. They invented geometry in order to get the maximum amount of capability of productivity of their land. And this is reflected in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, where he became the Pharaoh and the, the 
famous dream Joseph interpreted, seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine, and all of the world came to Egypt during the seven years of famine because Joseph had the foresight to stock it away first for seven years. This, this type of a mythological elaboration upon the wisdom of the Egyptians is common in the ancient literature. And so it was not lost fact of, right? Here, and what I can only do today, because I can't go really totally long. Oh, thank you for the likes, everybody. Thank you for your support. I love you guys for that reason, among others. Oh, Gail Capson. Hello, my, oh, hopeful agnostic. Hello. Yes, you are. You are very smart enough to be here. I promise. All of us are smart enough. Don't think that way, my friend. No, no. This is why I do videos is to share my lifelong love of learning. So, oh, and then Obadiah Bumbly. Welcome. Oh, you just got Method Infinite today. Congratulations. You'll enjoy that book. I made a couple of videos last weekend, like nine of them, <laughs> interviewing the authors and other Masons on that book. And I'm nowhere near done with that. I'm just sharing some ideas on philosophy. I will read a little bit of excerpts out of this book just to give you a feel for it. Every page of this book has fantastic fantastic insights and materials that I will eventually elaborate on both here on my live sessions and in my podcast on backyardprofessor.org. I, I know I don't want to be a broken record to those of you who are already here, but there's been some new people. But my podcasts are going back up on backyardprofessor.org. Please uh, view those. I have two new ones, and I will begin producing many, many more on page IV in the introduction. Now, instead of asking, what is philosophy? One should perhaps ask, what kind of contents? So in other words, what kind of mental activities or spiritual dimensions, methods, what kind of attitudes, practices, or even behavioral and ritual patterns may be subscribed under the name of philosophy. When understood in the ancient sense, here's the ancient sense of philosophy as the way leading to wisdom. Philo Sophia, philosophie. Philo is the love. Sophia is the sacred feminine who is wisdom. And this is caught in the, uh, now I mean, not only in the ancient wonderful texts of the Jewish. Kabbalistic texts, the Zohar especially, oh man, in the Zohar actually, wisdom, who, who allegorically now in the spiritual cast of the Jewish understanding, she is the wife of God. 
And uh, William Dever talks about her in his book, Did God Have a Wife? And he answered that in the affirmative. And uh, Raphael Patai, the other Jewish scholar, where he shows that wisdom became the Shekinah, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of early Christians was the divine female, heavenly mother, if you will, or the sacred feminine, which, which covers exactly the same broad, eternal basis of the full half of reality, which patriarchal tradition stubbornly continues to not pay attention to. And it is entirely to their loss and detriment because like the Chinese, yin and yang, you must have the two opposites in whatever hot, cold, up, down, stupid, smart, wet, dry, clothed, naked, whatever. Because they all have to go back to unity. And in our brain, left brain, right brain, one has feminine attributes, one has masculine attributes, and it is the unification of the consciousness of both spheres, hemispheres, within the brain that leads to higher intellectual capability, higher spirituality, a further opening up of expanding our wisdom. Philosophia is that path that opens us up, mind, heart, guts. I love Mark Passio. I've discovered a new guru, Mark Passio, on YouTube. And he talks a lot about these principles. Fantastic to have be bringing in some of his materials into my podcast, definitely. So this is really important. You notice the range, the, uh, you know, oh, philosophy is about intellectually talking about reality. That's more or less today's myopic understanding. That's a small sliver. That is not philosophia. Because talk, 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 talk cannot alone lead us to wisdom. Yeah, we've got smarts. We've got intelligence. But we need wisdom. Why do we have smarts? Why do we have the intellectual, but not the feeling, not the heart? Because the feminine 
side in every human being of our brains, we discard in order to deal with the logical, rational, objective, which is male-dominated. Now, that is not to disparage that. It must also be a part of our repertoire, but not without the feminine also. And I've got a whole lot more of that I will talk about in my podcast. I, I'm getting off to my subject because I'm kind of giving you hints about my up-and-coming podcasts. I'm working on a series of podcasts on just this subject. Fantastic subject. So, so let me keep going now. I'm getting preachy. I don't mean to, but on the other hand, yeah, why not? Someone's got to preach. I'll preach. Preach it, BYP! Yeah, baby! <laughs> Is Mark Crispin here yet? Oh, he's probably working. He's probably going to be mad that I didn't let him know, right? So, uh, so the main task, that is the principal point concerning philosophy, remains essentially the same to change perverted human nature to transform it to eventually leading it to happiness and to a restored divine identity. He just puts it right there. Fantastic. That's one thing I love about Uzdavnis, and he's on page IV of the introduction, and he gives us another 326 pages of exposition of all the ancient philosophers from all of the ancient different cultures. It's a magnificent text, man. It's a terrific exploration. I love those things. Can't help it. I'm a nut job, okay? So this task is, in fact directly inherited from the ancient philosophies. Yeah, that is from the mysteries of death, something we're terrified of today in our modern world. And that's why we're so kooky, because we fear death, which philosophy can solve the problem of if we would just wake up, right? I'll be talking about this a lot so we're talking about the mysteries of death, of transformation. And with these fundamental units of truth and reality also goes with and is associated with spiritual rebirth. Death is not the end. So, this task and the related cosmological theories, the systems of archetypal symbolism, the ritualized exercises, this was important too, because philosophy leads to the normative divine life through 
action, that is the rituals, the repeated events. Action is involved. Philosophy is not a discourse or a thing to talk about. To the ancient great men and women, it was a way of life. And I thought that was fantastic to see how he expounded on this. All these philosophical concepts expressed in a language of myth and symbol and ritual, every one of these are attested in the ancient Egyptian civilization. And these stand at the root of Hellenic modernization of that ancient philosophy. So, moving on. On page VII of the introduction, here, oh, oh no, VI, sorry. I've got a couple more. Knowledge of the divine becomes possible only through identification with it. And you say, yeah, but then you say, yeah, yeah. Knowledge of the divine becomes possible only through identification with it. And this identification or actual, this gradual transformation of the person and moving through the series of identities, culminating, that is, ending in union. This is the ultimate goal of the Egyptian philosophical view of life. This is a path, and that implies purification, correct performance of hieratic rites, moral perfection, contemplation, and knowledge, which proved to be the main driving force of illumination, of alchemical transformation, and restoration of one's true divine identity. Very wonderful, isn't it? And then on page VII, he says, what metaphysics now understands by immortality and by eternity implies and demands of every man and woman a total and uncompromising denial of himself and a final mortification to be dead and buried in the Godhead for the supreme identity is no less a death and a darkness than a life and a light no less asura than diva and this is what we understand to be the final purport of the first philosophy death and life i've got some great materials on alan watts that i will also integrate into a lot of my uh Information as I as I go back and forth between uh, the silliness and ribald stupidity of some Mormonism themes and, and ideas, and into the much more interesting philosophy as such.
So on page, uh, on page, well, this is page one. Hey, look at this. I'm finally getting started. Page one. I'll drink to page one. Ah, good stuff. Oh, thank you for the likes, you guys. You're awesome. So understanding ancient philosophy. So Uzdabnis is beginning to, let's get, what is it that starts the process of philosophy? I, you know, look, let's face it, you guys. We, we, we wake up in the morning, right? We're not thinking philosophy. I have to get a shower and I brush my teeth and comb my hair. Boy, comb my hair. Ay, ay, ay. And uh, I've got to get ready for work. You know, I got to get dressed. I, I got to cook breakfast unless I decide to do a bowl of cereal, you know, in milk and so on. So, and I go to work and so on and so forth. Well, I don't have time to study philosophy until all of the more important things are finished first. Right? I mean, let's face it. Let's be real here. I'm not trying to get us into a completely phony ideal because the ancients did not put it into a phony ideal. And this is really critical because the, the understanding here, and this was encouraging to me because I said, okay, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I dig this. This I can do. This I can do. You can philosophize absolutely every single day just like you can meditate absolutely every single day. I promise it's very interesting to do that. And it does not, um, it does not discombobulate you or get you off track of the necessities that you have to do during the course of the day. It begins with wonder. And from here, I knew I was really going to love the book. Now, the, the introduction was really good. Uh, a little bit steep on the intellectual end, right? Because he's naming, you know, you start naming the different philosophers and some of their schools or groups, uh, understandings and how they differ from one another and so on. You know, you have Pythagorean, Orphism, Platonism, Neoplatonism, Gnosis, you know, you start getting all these labels and it just kind of blows you away. So, so, and that's what he did in the introduction more or less, but it was a necessary introduction and I loved it. But now it begins in wonder and you have to wonder about the wonder. What does that mean? <laughs> the nice thing is Uzdavanus is on top of this. It's kind of interesting. Well, one must be careful first off in thinking that Philosophia first appeared with Pythagoras. And again, and, and he reiterates this, in my opinion, very properly so. Uh, Pythagoras, who visited all the Egyptian priests, acquiring all the wisdom each of those priests possessed, and this is according to Iamblichus in Divita Pythagorica. And yes, he invented the term philosophy, Pythagoras did, but that doesn't mean it originated with him. Now, really interesting, uh, 
it was associated with Apollo. Now, you know who Apollo is. And I have entire podcasts and entire videos I will present on Apollo. Simply one of the most critically important and breathtakingly fabulous, fascinating people in all of Greek mythology is the god Apollo. The far strider is how Homer describes him, right? He's the archer, the great archer. Yeah. So this consists in a purification. And the reason why, and now when we say purification, you say, well, yeah, that's good. I'm on it because every morning I go take a shower or a bath. <laughs> I, I say that somewhat jokingly, but on the other hand, when, when we uh, are in the right frame of mind, it's like the great mythologist Joseph Campbell said. He said, every meal is a sacrament if you meditate on the act that you're doing. Who are the participants? You and the food? You and family members? and the food, etc. So every purification, every shower and bath actually can be grasped as a purification because what's happening is we become aware of divine principles. So we're going to change our focus just a little bit uh, away from the uh, mundane world, the, the everyday, the boring, I hate my life, it sucks, I'm bored, etc. That's because today's philosophy has not given you the real excitement of what it is to be alive and expanding your heart and your mind and how much fun that can be because they're so stuck in their own egotistical stuffiness that you can't understand them anyway, so you never even bother buying their books, right? So this theme we become aware of divine principles and in assimilation to God. So while Pythagoreanism remained closely related to the Orphic thought of the period, the clearly distinguishing factor between these two themes, these two worldviews, I'll say, is for the Pythagoreans, liberation from the wheel of time is obtained not through religious right. It's not, it's not obtained through organized religion at all, according to the Pythagorean view. It is attained through philosophy or, and this is the point of my, my previous little obfuscation earlier, or the contemplation of first principles. 
Just recognize what you're doing. Put it into your heart and your mind that it is potentially a holy act that you're doing. And here's kind of an interesting concept that, I, that I've been trying to practice somewhat, and it's beginning to work. It's really interesting how it's beginning to work because so is everyone else doing a holy act in our every act of our everyday mundane boring life <laughs> and you go impossible dude you're off your rocker not just bear with me just give me a couple of minutes here <laughs> when you can when you can uh, shift your mindset just a little bit everything takes on a new significance and it really starts getting fun. <laughs> I, I'm just saying it, it's really interesting. So, so let me keep reading here for just a minute. So philosophia is a form of purification. Now remember purification is a contemplation. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to give ourselves a purification, which means you shift your perspective just a little bit. What would happen if instead of everything being mundane, boring, what would happen if we could possibly contemplate that Everything affects everything else. And from, from our limited perspective, of course, it's mundane. You know, I tore up a piece of paper to put in my book as a marker. Mundane, boring as all get out. And yet that marker allows me such a mundane little insignificant act. It allows me to turn to that page and share with you a thought that I want to share with you that could potentially be helpful. And if it's not, that's okay, because I'm loving reiterating it because it really is helpful to me. And someday I may learn how to better elaborate it or say something with a little bit different words so that you can comprehend it a little better. Notice what I'm doing here. Notice what you're doing here, participating while you're listening. You've changed your perspective. Oh, he's going to say something I haven't heard before. That's a change of perspective. Now you're beginning to contemplate, to participate in the yin and the yang, the give and the take, the I'm here, you're there. And you can say that from your perspective. No, I'm here, you're there. Yeah. Everything affects everything else. And rather than being just mundane, unimportant, insignificant, you know, what if absolutely everything was holy? You ever think of that? I do. Not job 101 right here. But 
hold on. If, and, and I'm going to say it this way just to kind of break you into this. There's better ways to say it, and I will do so in the future. In fact, it might be on one of these marked passages that I've got that I want to read to you. What if God really did create everything? And okay, and let's say some, let's just say for just the sake of the discussion, not that it has to be, but okay, okay, what if Joseph Smith got it right? Because there are ancient precedents to his idea that no, God is not a creator, he's an organizer. All right, so that might just be, you know, worrying about small stuff. Okay, God's an organizer. He organized everything. Doesn't that make everything holy, including us? And so whatever it is, that we as an organized thing, an organized entity, physically, right now, I've got hands, you know, a nose, so on and so forth. What if as organized things, we really were all holy? And that would mean stuff that we do is actually all holy. Just explore by changing your perspective and sometimes you can come up with really interesting insights. That's what Usdavinus did for 320 pages in his book. That's what I love about Usdavinus. So anyway, moving on, man. Okay. Yeah, I'm never going to get to this. How long have I been? Ooh, almost an hour. Woohoo. Okay. Hopefully I'm not wasting your time. I'm not wasting mine because this is a great review for me. I, I hope you're enjoying this. Page two now. If human wonder now... This idea of human wonder when facing life and death, divine glories and terrestrial miseries is the true origin of philosophizing, then this sense of wonder is the mark of the philosopher. Philosophy indeed has no other origin and he was a good genealogist who made Iris, daughter of Thaumas. Then just take a look around. This is Plato talking in the Thetatus. It says, then just take a look around and make sure that none of the uninitiated overhears us. And I mean by uninitiated, the, the people who believe that nothing is real save what they can grasp with their hands and do not admit that actions and processes or anything invisible can count as real. So here, you know, Plato is clearly saying that philosophical wonder is wonder raised by things that are real and things that are invisible. In other words, the forms, the intellectual, the, the Greek word is noetic, the noetic realities. And this, quote, miraculous, unquote, philosophical knowledge regarding the ascent to the intelligible realm 
is not arrived at or learned at random, but it constitutes the essence of initiation. And that's why they emphasize this philosophia as a practice of life, an initiation of rebirth, because it changed your perspective of everything, not just yourself. You need that fundamentally so, but you also need to change your perspective of absolutely everything else as well, right? So on page, uh, oh, no, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to skip that. I have so much of this stuff I want to share with you. I'd love to just read this whole doggone book to you out loud, but uh, this is kind of a fun way. So uh, page six now, philosophy is a method aimed at the elimination of irrational fears, ambitions, and passions at transformation and recovering of our essential identity. It requires the aspirant to act in a pious and holy fashion, realizing that all initiations and visions are conferred on intellect by the hidden powers within the immense temple of the gods, which is the universe itself. So you can see how they're, they, they sweep out into the magnificent cosmological context, which, of course, by fiat, by law, has to be invisible to us because we simply can't see the hugeness of the cosmos. It is invisible, but that doesn't mean it's not real. I mean, the overall giganticness of it. We're talking billions of light years away and light years are trillions of miles away you know so it's, we're talking big stuff so so that's interesting and then on page seven moral and ontological now ontological is a fancy philosophical term that makes you think makes you sound like you have an iq of 220 but you don't right Ontological is just basic what's real, <laughs> right? But you got to use some kind of a fancy word to make yourself seem like, whoa, I am so sophisticated. So, all right. So moral and ontological self-knowledge. Now, who am I? Know thyself is what the Delphic Oracle. I mean, that was on Plato's Academy on the open, on the top of the, uh, door entering his school. Know thyself. Well, this has to precede all spiritual progress in the philosophical discovery of the hidden truth. Be if actual knowledge has to start <laughs> with your heart and your mind, or you're just a blob of jelly, right? So, so that's an important basis of the ancient philosophy, right? So flipping over to page 11. Oh, actually, page 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real knowledge about divine matters. This real knowledge about divine matters 
cannot stem from discursive human reasonings. See, discursive human reasonings uh, is the essence of modern philosophy. We talk, we argue, we rhetorically crush our opponent in a logical demonstration of how great my mind is. It's a discursive. You're discussing back and forth. I say something, you say, no, that's not true because of this particular kind of evidence. It's what I've been doing in my videos when I argue against uh, a particular archaeological discovery that a Mormon claims supports the Book of Abraham or the Book of Mormon, right? It's a discourse, it's a discursive back and forth, right? True spiritual knowledge cannot be discovered that way, however. Why not? Well, it may only be sent from above. According to Plato, the greatest philosopher, he's saying that. You go, wow, that's pretty heavy. From the realm of ideas. You know what the, you know what the ideas are? Okay, let me do a quick, a quick, I promise I'll. The idea of a bottle. Now, this is a physical concept that I'm holding made out of glass. This physical bottle is the physical counterpart of the idea of a bottle. But bottles can come in any kind of shape or size and even material now, interestingly enough. It does not have to be this exact shape, color, size, or function to be a real bottle. The idea of a bottle is the objective reality of all bottles. It's the concept of bottle. That's the realm of ideas. From Plato. This is Plato's theme of the ideas. Or actual knowledge of the spiritual realm has to be revealed by the divine intellect to the human intellect as long as it is purified this is the aim of the philosophical exercises and able to receive a glimpse of the supreme light. So for the true philosopher, as Demetrius maintains, it's not enough to be skilled in the externals of philosophy or concerned with the multitude of things theories, and brilliant syllogisms. If a person inwardly barren of soul, remember, philosophia is the love of wisdom, not the appearance of it, right? You can't, if you're faking like you love wisdom, 
then that's what this guy is talking about. It has to be the real N-word. Otherwise, it's not actual. And this is what this guy means. He's saying, he's saying a guy can be super overly intelligent with all of the philosophical theories on any and all subjects. That's not being a philosopher, though. Because if he's inwardly barren of soul and lacking in true knowledge, he cannot be reckoned among those who belong to the holy race. Notice he is putting philosophers in a holy race because of their understanding of what the goal, the reason it existed even, of philosophy. It's not to show off your intellectual prowess at all. That's to miss the whole point. So not only skeptics or Epicureans, but even those Platonists who are characterized merely by external learning. And these may be very impressive uh, indeed. And when I read this, I immediately thought of Daniel C. Peterson, <laughs> the Mormon apologist. You know, his external his external knowledge is absolutely stunning in 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 many areas, but internally, I don't think he loves wisdom at all. He's doing it to defend a point of view that he believes is true. That's not philosophia. That's not the love of wisdom. That's being a defender of a concept. That's being a defender of someone else's interpretation. Right. So, and this is why he says, since true divine philosophers are the winged souls who have accomplished, or at least they've begun, they've started their and dwell in the plane of pretty interesting <laughs> way to elaborate it, isn't it? Kind of fun. That that was from uh, Demetrius. Now, divine possession. Now, the the Greek word here is enthusiasmos. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Well, I'm bored with life. This sucks. I don't have anything to do. <sighs> the divine. Possession turns you on enthusiastically, right? This separation of the soul from the body, the ecstasis, and the ascent, the anagogi in the Greek, the ascent of that soul once you separate from the body. And you're doing it with joy in your heart and with a mind looking very, very forward to learning the great cosmological divine wisdom because that is what philosophy means. You see how they put this together? This is so interesting. And the realm of the divine, those are what are required for philosophy. Okay, let me let me keep going. I'm going way too slow. I apologize, but this is fun stuff. Come on, it's fun. Oh, okay. Uh, page twelve. Now he 
he's going through, see, he's been with the Greeks, right? And then he jumps with the, uh, well, he actually started with the Orphics, started with the Egyptians, but now he got to the Greeks. Now he's coming up to the early Christians, right? And with the early Christians, uh, Justin Martyr in his dialogue with Trifo the Jew says, philosophy is really the greatest and the most honorable thing man can possess. Because it alone brings us to God and unites us with him. And truly holy are those who apply themselves to philosophy. So being the knowledge of being, philosophy is the knowledge of being, he says. Philosophy is the knowledge of God, of what is true, and what truly exists. Remember, Plato said what truly exists is in the uh, ideas, the realm of the ideas. That's what was real, right? To see God is the aim of Plato's philosophy. That's why every time when he was talking about the subject, he was always trying to point his students' minds to the intelligible realm. And they say, well, that makes no sense. We, we, we can't grasp it. He says, of course you can't. That's because you need training in the love of wisdom. So stick around, kid. We're going places, right? Hey, uh, who was it? Werner Jaeger, one of the great philosophers of our age, said, hey, everything after Plato is just footnotes. Plato's the big one, right? Okay, so page uh, 13. Oh, and then Clement of Alexandria. Now, Clement of Alexandria is arguably one of the most important early Christian uh, philosophers ever. If you can get a chance and you can get, I've got the Donald, the McDonald and the Donaldson. I think it's McDonald and Donaldson early uh uh, pre-Nicene Christian fathers, the early church fathers. I've got their translation of them. It's like 49 volumes. It covers the entire length of my living room upstairs, man. It's gigantic. But Clement of Alexandria is in one of the earlier ones. If you can get that stuff, you, you need to read it. He's pretty good. Well, he claims that Pythagoras was the disciple of Sanchis, the highest prophet of the Egyptians, Plato was the pupil of Seshnupis of Heliopolis, one of the priests of the ancient Egyptians, and Eudoxus, the Sinidian of Chonupus. Pythagoras is claimed also to be a pupil of the Assyrian Zaratus and even of the Indian Brahmans. Very interesting there. So he's, he's sharing their heritage, their line. Oh, this is pretty good, too. This is pretty good, too. Uh, on the Pythagorean, well, in the Enneads, oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah, hold on, hold on. I got to back up. Okay. Uh, the reason they kept stuff secret, the Pythagoreans, and they did, as did the Eleusinian uh, participants, as did a lot of the early Christians. Even Clement of Alexandria claimed 
they had secrets, you know. And then Morton Smith found that secret gospel of Mark. I mean, that's a video all in and of itself. That's that's some fun, that's some fun crap to wade through, man. That's not the stuff they want you to learn in Sunday school, you know. <laughs> the theme here is to provide a spiritual method and guidance in order to actualize the world of ideas. They're designed to heal and to transform the soul. So spiritual masters and healers who not only provide a means for purifying the soul, but they show the way to regain. And this, again, is a major theme in the ancient philosophia to regain your true identity and immortality. This is the ultimate aim of the Pythagorean philosophy. Well, it was Plato's. Well, it was Neoplatonics. It was the Gnostics. You starting to get the point? Yeah. It was the Orphics. It was the Egyptians. It was all of the ancient philosophies. Right. Yeah. It's not that today, though, is it? Somewhere along the line, man. Today's philosophy got derailed and they just bore the absolute hell out of us. When we're talking about an eternal cosmological self-knowledge in our hearts and minds, how we're connected to the cosmos, etc. This is real interesting stuff, at least worth a look into. The ultimate aim was to get your true identity and immortality, not simply doing science and studying mathematics. The Pythagorean philosophy, you know, he's the one that said everything is number. And you've, you've heard about the tetractus, the, the one on the point, then two, three below it, then four, five, six, then seven, eight, nine, ten, all in a triangle, stuff like that. So you say, oh yeah, he's playing stupid, dumb, childish mathematical games. If that is how you view that, then this is one case where, remember earlier I said, if you'll just shift your perspective just a little bit, a whole new world of knowledge will open up to you, right? You know what the old saying is, change your attitude, you change your life. Literally, <laughs> I'm serious. Change your attitude, and you really can change your life. Fun stuff. So anyway, our concern is not to be free of sin, but to be God. I'm going to read that again. Our concern is not to be free from sin, but to be God. Wow. Now already you can see this is way above Mormonism. Mormonism focuses on the sin and your worthiness so that they can maintain control over you. These guys didn't give a flying flip about any of that noise. That's just... Pfft. Fun stuff. This is really interesting. So uh, let me go on. I've got to skip a, a few things here. Okay, this is pretty good too. Oh, hey, Herodotus, the good old historian, our historian Herodotus. 
Now, he says the so-called Orphic or the Bacchic rites are really Egyptian and Pythagorean. He says that in the history, uh, second book, 81. In both cases, the attaining of wisdom and salvation uh, and enlightenment is accomplished not through discursive reasoning and the cultivation of sciences, but through the inner passage. And what this is, the inner passage is when we can unite the heart and the mind and we can have our ascent up. This is the theme he's talking about. So, uh, and what this does is it leads upwards to the royal crown mounted on the sacred pillar, the spinal column of Osiris, and this is the Egyptian god of the what? The dead. His column was the Jed column. His backbone was the Jed column, right? So this is big. This is this is the axis mundi. This is the connector of the worlds between the world and the heavens. See it as allegory. See it as symbolic, not literal. Forget literal. You're going to miss the whole idea here. This is pretty damn good stuff when you don't go literal, you know. Uh, so. This ladder, he says, is a theurgic ladder. You rise up on the ladder, which is the backbone of Osiris. And where are you going? To the goddess Nut, who is the heaven. Notice where they put the sacred feminine above in heaven. That's really important because there's three realms. There are three realms in the ancient mythology of the cosmos, up, here, and below us, right? Heaven, earth, and the underworld. The ladder of Osiris, which is his backbone. Now, he's the god. He's the one that is in the coffin, right? So he's in the underworld. His backbone stretches from the lowest tier of the cosmos all the way through earth where you are and then up to where not the goddess. It connects all three levels. And in all the philosophies, the cosmos is a tripartite cosmos. And Wolfgang Smith is big on that too. I've got some great stuff on Wolfgang Smith I'll share with you. This ladder is the way towards union. Not only does this silly symbol, this ladder, starting in the underworld, it, it comes up to this earth and then we grab on the rungs and we ascend to the heaven because that's where it goes. So it's connecting the three cosmological realms, but then us, the humans, the mortal, we climb what? The backbone of the God up to where the heavenly goddess and not only is the cosmos united, but so are we and the deity. Get the sense. Don't worry about the don't worry about the literalness. This isn't meant to be literal, and yet 
it's really capable of happening. <laughs> right? We're just looking at the symbolism at this point. So that that's more, oh man, an hour 19. Okay, I've got a couple more items I want to share with you. Up. Oh, this is, oh crap, man, this is good. Oh, I'm going to have to skip it, though. It's a whole page and a half. Sorry. I, I will make that. I will do that one in another video. I promise. There's so much I can put in here. I'm not even kidding. Okay. Okay. Uh, on page 61. Let's go to page 61. Since philosophy concerns the the contemplation of realities, the ta-onta, see the ta-onta, that's the ontology. That's that fancy word, the fancy philosophical word that makes you think like, whoa, he's got a high IQ, man. He uses big words. The ta-onta is the reality. Ontology is about reality, right? Like biology is about life, so on and so forth. Theology is discourse on the gods, right? Mm. So, since philosophy concerns the contemplation of realities and elevating knowledge, which prepares the soul for the divine vision and the reunion with the archetypal principles. Now, what did I just say about the reunion of the archetypal principles? Osiris's backbone, beginning in the underworld, comes up into our level, right? And then it continues on to the sacred feminine. We have the sacred masculine. The backbone, the ladder, the axis mundi connecting earth with heaven. We get on that and we ascend to the mom, the sacred feminine. We are uniting what? The sacred masculine, the backbone of Osiris, that goes all the way up to penetrate the sacred feminine to continue the process of creation through generation, right? The unification of the masculine and the feminine. One is not more important than the other. That's what this is saying. Since philosophy concerns the contemplation of realities and elevating knowledge, which prepares the soul for the divine vision and the reunion of the ark, Typal principles, it is not at variance with the mysteries performed for human perfection and salvation. The end and aim of the rite of purification is the ascent of our souls. And that's Julian. Is that Julian? Yeah, that's Julian who said that. Okay, so page 61. So let me go on. And, and this is good too. Next page, page 62, just a quick sentence. Oh, it is clear that philosophy as understood by Antoninus, and this guy died about AD 390. So see, we're, we're even, we're in the early Christian time, the post early Christian times, just about the time the canonization of the Bible was taken. AD 390, right? So Antoninus 
radically differs from the modern conception here. It includes inner transformation. And don't let that term confuse you or, or spook you. Inner transformation is just changing your attitude and your perception just a little bit. Think, Dare to think, encourage yourself to think that, you know, if, if I was to look at this just a little bit differently, I might actually learn something new and interesting about the same thing I've been looking at over and over and over and over again. Would you like an illustration? I had an inner transforming moment this week doing something so mundane that you can't help but almost laugh. And yet it's a real insight I had. I do this a lot because it's necessary. The sun this year has been seriously hot. It's 100 degrees today. I have to water the grass or it gets brown spots. Now, look, you guys, every one of us have experienced this, too. That's the other really interesting thing about this. Everybody experiences brown spots in your flipping lawn when you don't water it enough. Oh, that stupid heat. A stupid heat. The sun is ruining my lawn. The sun can kill. And yet the sun also gives life. Without it, ain't none of us going to be here. Nothing is going to be here on this planet that's alive. Right? So is that a paradox? Well, sort of. With a context, you can kind of get the theme that the sun is my enemy. I hate the sun. No, you don't. You don't hate the sun. You acquire, you explore, you use a context to where the sun provides you food because you water the garden. You water the lawn. And what we are doing is this insight I got this week, actually. I am actually performing magic. It's alchemy. For real. I mean real alchemy. In the physical, literal plane of my existence, of your existence, we do real alchemy. Because what we're doing with the hose that we turn on and we're squirting and spraying the grass to turn it green, we are spraying star stuff all over star stuff. It just happens to be dead and brown. Through time, our spraying H2O 
two different elements combined in such an interesting, magical way as to produce the liquid of life for us, the grass, all the animals, all the plants. This is mind-boggling that just that liquid, without it, you die. And just in three or four days, with it, you live. You squirt it, this star stuff, you squirt it onto the star stuff. We see alchemy because the star stuff from the sun photosynthesis within the plant produces the chlorophyll, gives that thing life, which the animals, which are more star stuff in a completely different form, on a completely different level from the plant, it will consume that plant. And that plant, through the photosynthesis, from the star stuff that the sun is made of, that plant gives us life. And so does the other star stuff, water, right? So water and plants, it's all from the stars millions of light years away Billions of years ago. And we can utilize the star stuff to make other star stuff alive, which keeps us alive. Because when we eat and we digest that, we are chemical factories, alchemical factories of star stuff from the cosmos, it's keeping us alive. It's giving us our life. And it is flowing through us while we are flowing through it. And we're alive. That's real alchemy. That's magic. That's existence. Fun stuff. And uh, I so hate watering this damn lawn. I've been watering this lawn all summer and I keep getting brown spots. This sucks. I would rather go play my video game or I want to get in my car and go to the movies or I want to go shop for a new pair of shoes. If you just change your perspective a little bit and understand because why we love to learn. We love knowledge. We love truth. We love wisdom. We are philosophers. So I was asking myself as I was watching that magnificent star stuff arc in a graceful, long, beautiful arc under that brown patch on the grass. And through the week, that brown patch turns a different color. It's green. I, through my will and action, can turn and change 
the star stuff. That's what I mean when I say just change your perspective just a little bit. It'll make life much more enjoyable and fun. <laughs> and people will think you're nuts when you tell them what I just told you. You mean that's what you think about? Well, it sure beats the hell out of saying, my life sucks. I have to water this lawn every day. I hate this. Oh, what a myopic little sourpuss dipshit. If that's all you can ever think about is how bad life is when you have the most astonishing things happening to us. And we don't even know it. Why? Because we have not yet become philosophers. But we can. And it's not that big a deal to just change your perspective a little to get that. So anyway, um, I, I got to quit, man. I'm in an hour and a half. Okay, uh, page 63, just real quick. Uh, philosophy should not, philosophy should not be restricted to the analysis of language and logic as has happened in modern times. That is not philosophy. We, we've we've gone off track, and it's our loss. Until the end of the Greco-Roman world, philosophy was regarded as a mystery. Now, if you think you understand water, if you think you understand hydrogen, the most common element in our entire cosmos, you really need to look into that and be prepared to be blown away. It's a fascinating subject. Put yourself in the mystery. Because we are a part. We are 80% water ourselves. Why is that? Have you ever thought of that? Just check into it. Just go ahead. Take a little time to check into it. Be prepared to be incredibly amazed. It's fun. It is a mystery in which one is initiated into. And that's a privilege. Right? So, oh, I'm, I'm going to skip that too. Well, Platonism is, I'm on page 67. Then I got to quit. I, I'm going way too far, man. Okay. Hello from the other side of the Atlantic. <laughs> yes, I am. All right. Yeah, a lot of people are here now that I haven't seen. Good on you. Platonism is modeled on the experience of mysteries. The highest step of philosophy, the highest step of philosophy is analogous to epoptia. Now, that's the Greek word, the epoptia. That's the Greek word for your insight. And it's actually much deeper. It's actually much more profound than that. It's the vision of reality. It's the vision of truth. When when the Eleusin, when the people who were participating in the Eleusinian mysteries 
got out of the cave, when they were finished, they were called epoptes. They were the epoptia because they had had the vision of reality and truth. So, um, yeah, that's... Okay, one more. Page 68. The aim of philosophy is to rearrange our whole life according to divine prototypes. Therefore, philosophy is a love of wisdom cannot be reduced to philology, merely a love of speech. Because philosophical discourse is just one. Although it is the most distinct, it is only still just one among other means that justify our choice of a particular way of life and support us on the spiritual path toward the final truth and toward enlightenment. So anyway, there, there I just... And he goes into the history. I, I'm not going to... Uh, Hold on, I've got this marked for a reason. Oh, here we Yeah, okay, I'll end on this one. Yeah, this is really good. Uh, page three. Oh, let's see, page 314. Yeah, this is really good. This is kind of the sum up of philosophia. The love of wisdom, the intellectual, the erotic path that leads to virtue and knowledge. The philosophical life means the participation in the divine and the actualization of the divine in the human through personal ascesis and inner transformation. You get to decide. If you have the will, you get to change. First here. First here. You get to choose to do that. Plato defines philosophy as a, a training for death. The Platonic philosophia helps the soul to become aware of its own immateriality. It liberates from passions and strips away everything that is not truly itself. For Plotinus, philosophy does not wish only to be a discourse about objects but even the highest if they if they if if it wishes actually to lead the soul to a living concrete union with the intellect and the good Whew. boy there's a philosophical discourse for you right so anyway i just wanted to give you this uh this introduction to usdavanus and uh Say hi to you real quick. Looks like there's quite a few people here. Ah, a few. Not, oh, gosh, thanks for all the likes. That's awesome. So, uh, oh, Mark Austin, every second is a revelation. Nice, nice approach. Change of perspective. Every second is a revelation. So wouldn't you want to pay attention to every second? Because there's something that's going to be shown to you. The question is, do you have the eyes to see? Changing your approach, changing your perspective can do that. That's actually amazing when you stop and think about it. Seriously. <laughs> it's fun, man. It makes life fun. It makes it worth living, right? So, 
Okay. Oh, Richard Petjack. Good to see you, my friend. Haven't seen you for a while. Oh, Mormon Yeshiva, welcome. Yeah, I know. And I and I'm out of time right now. We will get together. I, I know it looks like I'm constantly putting you off because I am constantly putting you off. <laughs> I don't mean to. I'll drink to my friendship with you. But I have to go watch The Matrix tonight. I'm going to watch The Matrix trilogy plus the new one. And I am going to do some podcasts on it. Again, while you're all here, let me just say the backyard, or, or I should say, backyardprofessor.org. I am beginning to do more podcasts. I have two new podcasts up. Uh, I will be able to share many, many more of those with you. So enjoy those. You can listen to them while you commute to work, while you clean the yard, or while you're taking a walk, or while you're trying to go to sleep. I should be able to put you to sleep within 10 seconds. So I, I will be the cure for your insomnia with my podcast. So anyway, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, oh, Alashram, welcome. I'm going to head out and uh, I will, and, and don't forget, okay, now tonight's Thursday. I, I probably will do a few podcasts on Saturday and during Sunday day, but don't forget my Sunday night, 6 p.m. also. That's definitely on the, down the rabbit hole we go. Yeah, isn't it fun? Richard Petchak, that's the way it is. It is safer with friends. Yeah, so let's all do this together because I am real curious about that rabbit hole. So let's do it, baby. All right. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate all of you. Remember, be good, do well, have fun, work hard, sleep tight, and come back soon. Keep your eye open for me on Saturday and Sunday. I will do a few more of these, and then uh, my podcast, I will begin to push them out a little more in the next couple of weeks, and then I'll be going great gangbusters. So, all right, you guys, have a fabulous day, or if it's approaching night, have a great night rest, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining. Good to see y'all.